Good morning, Wisconsin. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the old National Bank talk and text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Tuesday show. Lots to talk about. There was a uh, a vote last night, a real vote, not polls. Although we'll hear a little bit from the uh, the dean of Wisconsin polling, Charles Franken, from the MU Law School poll. We'll hear a little snippet of his his comments about the caucus style of voting, which happened in Iowa last night. Right. So I was kind of flipping back between football, which is boring. And the Iowa caucus, uh, and I was watching on all the networks, everybody called this thing like in a half hour. It was it was over, which kind of leads me to my first point. Is this thing essentially over before it starts? Is Donald Trump the nominee? That's it. We're done. Well, not necessarily, but it is certainly a victory for the president, former president. 51% of the votes went his way. Now, there was a decreased turnout. I would say that's a combination of both cold, cold, severe weather, very cold weather in Iowa, and voter apathy, which doesn't bode well for a general election for Republicans, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, finished, finished in second place with about 21%. Nikki Haley, a close third at 19.1. What does this mean, Steve? Well, there's about a two or three or four week window here of opportunity for Santos and Haley. But they have to now win. You have to win real primary vote totals, counts. There's an oddity to the uh, Iowa style of caucus. Basically, people writing their names down on pieces of paper, writing the names of the candidate they're voting for on a piece of paper. It's thrown into a, a popcorn bin or a grocery store bag, and then it's hand-counted, and there's all kinds of observers wearing patriotic gear and crazy shirts and all that stuff. It's I call it dinosaur politics, and uh, I'm actually going to have a really interesting conversation with Charles Benson uh, for Decision Wisconsin uh, tomorrow. We'll, play, we'll make that available to you on Thursday, but... I'm just not a fan of it, I, and and I don't think Iowa should lead the nation in anything, really. It's a great state, a lot of great people. It's not representative. It's not a diverse state. It's not a populist state. It's just a state. Let's hear a little bit from ABC on the story of the first actual voting in the run-up to the nomination for president, ABC. Overnight, a record-breaking victory for former President Donald Trump, winning Iowa in a landslide. The big night is going to be in November when we take back our country, and truly, we do make our country great again. Trump's 30-point win, the largest for any Republican candidate in a contested Iowa caucus. I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a, a a good time together. We're all having a good time together. A little bit of the former president celebrating. It was it was a well earned victory. He had spent some time. He had a lot of people on the ground. Did a really smart thing about how to caucus properly and get votes. Encouraging these caucus captains to recruit ten people to show up and vote for Donald Trump, and it worked worked to his advantage, garnering uh, more than all the other candidates. 
combined. So it's a good win for the former president, no denying that. I wanted to give you a little basic knowledge, because I was learning, too, as I was talking to Charles Franklin yesterday, uh, from the guru of, of Wisconsin polling, MU Law School poll, on the idea of caucuses, how they work. A little bit of Charles Franklin here. So as the uh, the gold standard of pollsters in Wisconsin, what is your year going to look like? Sort of give us a schedule, an idea of when we'll see numbers from the MU Law School poll. Sure. Uh, we will do 12 polls over the next 10 months, stopping just before the November election. Six of those will be national surveys that we do about every two months, and six will be state polls. So the current plan, and I hasten to say this, it could always change as circumstances require, but the current plan is we'll do a poll in late no, late January, coming out the first week of November, uh, that will give us sort of the baseline. We also did one last November, so a couple of months ago, so we'll have two baselines as the primary season ramps up. Then we'll be back in March before our April primary. And then we'll take some time off and end up with doing four over the course of the summer and fall, uh, one a month as we lead up to Election Day. Uh, so that gives us a pretty regular schedule of polling with a bit of a gap in the late spring but then steady polling basically every month as we go into the election. That's a little taste of Charles Franklin. He's actually talking about the the schedule of events for MU Law School poll. We'll try to get that other clip for you in, in a bit. Um, Trump dominated in Iowa yesterday. There's there's no way of looking at it in, in any other now any other direction. Any others? Uh, is there hope for the other candidates? Sure. If Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis beats Donald Trump in New Hampshire, perhaps, but. Numbers don't look good for Ron DeSantis. Nikki Haley's had a surge in, in New Hampshire, so possibly. But if Trump wins New Hampshire and Trump wins South Carolina and he starts making and stacking these votes in race after race after race, it's, it's, it's essentially done. Now, if you listen to the show, you've heard me argue this over and over again. I don't think Donald Trump will win a general election. I understand there's some polling that suggests he might. I, I have a strong concern as somebody who would like to see a Republican president other than Donald Trump that anybody, anybody that he puts with him on his on his ticket, anything he says, or let's be honest, the results of some of the court cases that are going to happen in 2024 are going to lead to a victory in November. No, of, is it possible someone texted me? Yeah, absolutely, possible. Mm-hmm, sure. If you ask me my opinion, I'd say I don't think he's going to beat anybody in November. Not going to get independence, not going to get suburban women, and those are big things that any Republican candidate has to get to win the race for president. He got him in 2016, he didn't get him in 2020, and he's probably performing worse now. My show poll is up. If you're not on the X, good life choice. Question is simple. Do you think essentially this race is over before it started? I give you a few choices. No, way too early. Yes, he's the guy, which is currently the uh, winning choice of over 150 voters already on our show poll. Or depends on the court cases, that's at 31%, which I think is a big qualifier as well. 
because at least six out of ten voters in this country have said, if he's convicted, probably not going to get my vote. That's a big qualifier for the former president. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the old WTMJ talking text line. Join the conversation. Answer the question. If you're not on X, what do you think? Over before it started? Still hope for a candidate other than Trump? I keep my options open, but I will tell you that with the showing in Iowa and uh, wins early on in New Hampshire and South Carolina, former President Donald Trump will be hard to beat for that nomination, and we'll probably see him on stage in Milwaukee in July. A quick break. You're listening, of course, to WTMJ Now. More of WTMJ. Welcome back to the Tuesday program. I am Steve, as always, sitting in the big chair here on uh, post-election response, reaction, and just kind of looking at the, the reality in the race. And, and I got a lot of text on this, and, I, and some calls are coming in as well. I do have that piece from Charles Franklin. It's kind of explaining the Iowa process. So we're going to play that for you right now. It's, just, it's a little bit over a minute, just kind of explaining how these things work. As somebody who's been around polling and elections for a long time, your take on, on caucuses and how they work. Well, caucuses are a challenge. Um, it, just to be clear, what goes on in Iowa tonight is that people have to show up at 7 p.m. It's not like voting throughout the day. You've got to be there at 7. You usually have to sit through speeches representing various candidates. And on the Republican side, you then vote by paper ballot. And those ballots are counted tonight and tallied over over the evening. Um, what makes it hard for polling is that it's challenging to go, especially a cold night like tonight, and be there at 7 o'clock and spend a fair chunk of your evening doing this. And so turnout is pretty small, 180,000-plus um, uh, in 2016, the last time there was a contested Iowa caucus on the Republican side, um, that's pretty small compared to what you'd get in an Iowa November vote, which would be several million. Um, And so from a pollster's point of view, the problem is identifying who is so committed to turning out that they will definitely vote. Even in November elections, pollsters uh, have to make some educated guesses about who's actually going to vote. And in a caucus setting, that's even more so. A little bit of Charles Franklin, the uh, the guru, the uh, director of the MU Law School poll, which uh, is sort of the gold standard of Wisconsin, and I have a lot of respect for Charles, and he, he's very generous with his time. And if you'd like to hear the entire conversation about his schedule, Iowa caucuses, some of the challenges in presidential polling, It's available on the Decision Wisconsin podcast. You can find it on WTMJ.com. Just click the podcast tab and then go to the Decision Wisconsin. All of our conversations related to the election in November, the the crazy year of politics in Wisconsin and beyond, and, of course, the uh, newsmakers, journalists, and, in some cases, candidates who will be making up part of that great story that we will share with you every day here on WTMJ. A lot of people saying... They don't trust the Iowa's results. The turnout was low. I credit that to very cold weather, bitter cold Arctic weather, and I would say voter apathy. I don't like caucuses, and Charles Franklin made the point. It's a very small number of people deciding 
what has has been given historically a lot of significance, and this was a big win for Trump. It was it was a historic win. Let's not you know try to sugarcoat that or cover that up. That was a big win for Donald Trump yesterday, former president. No way to skirt that. Big win. Iowans who voted in the caucus supported Donald Trump overwhelmingly. So that has significance in this race. I just don't like caucuses. Small number of people over representing older voters big time and there's a lot of persuasion that goes on in the in the context of a caucus where in a actual primary votes there's no one persuading you you go into the polling place you can't persuade you are with your ballots by yourself you make that decision so the entire process is flawed to me i've said for years they should get rid of it they won't it's kind of a clever way to I guess, kick off the race. I don't think it necessarily serves the uh, the interest of the voter. Uh, Rome joins us from downtown. Welcome to the show, Rome. What do you think? Good morning, and thanks for taking my call. Uh, you're, you hit it head on in terms of, uh, you know, the, the way it was last night. You know, a lot of people didn't show up. Uh, it wasn't representative of the country in terms of the people that did show up. I think a lot of People were apathetic about coming out last night because they knew that Trump was going to win. So I think a lot of people that will vote in the general election against Trump, um, uh, they didn't, they, you know, they, they wasn't, wasn't there last night. And the thing that you, other thing we have to look at, you know, as far as this dog and pony show they call caucuses, I lived in Iowa and I've been through the caucus system. And the people that come together for the caucus aren't necessarily going to vote the same way when they're in that booth by themselves. And because of the persuasion that goes on. Yeah. But yeah. I think that uh, we as Democrats better wake up, though, and get our act together because it's all in for him to uh, continue his momentum if uh, we can't, if uh, Nikki Haley or uh, DeSantis can't get it together by, uh, by the time it gets to South Carolina because this, once South Carolina hits, it's over. Thanks for the call, Rome. Look, there's, there's a lot of room here for Haley and DeSantis to make a move. And, and I've, I've said at some point, you know, Donald Trump, given all the other things swirling around, and there could be an implosion in his campaign. I'm not predicting that, but that could happen. Uh, a couple quick texts, then we're going to go to break, and then we're going to be joined by Dan Schaefer in studio, as we always are on uh, Tuesdays. Um, with so many who will not vote for Trump, he can't be President Biden since Biden is failing in health. We'll have Kamala Harris as president. Well, let's not try to predict the future, and let's not predict the death of the, of the, cur- of the current president. But, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, somebody asked about the turnout. Turnout was low. And I credit it to uh, extreme cold weather and voter apathy. Uh, from the 414, he will not have my vote. I'll write someone else in. Uh, Steve, if Trump doesn't win, he will just pout, blame the poor poll workers, declare a recount, and waste more taxpayers' time and money. Uh, MAGA Republicans do not believe in a free, fair, and just U.S. That is as Reaganites believed in. If Trump would have lost, be singing a different tune, Trump 2024. Read the text. Gave the credit to the president. Not sure what you are asking from me here. No secret, I'm not a fan of the former president. That's not breaking news. All right, we'll take a break here. After the break, political columnist, writer Dan Schaefer will join us looking at the uh, the strange case of Wisconsin redistricting. Seven different ideas. Who's going to win? What will those lines look like? We'll discuss that with Dan Schaefer after this on WTMJ Now. All right, producer caught me by surprise there. All right, in studio, as he always is on Tuesdays, Dan Schaefer, political columnist, writer of the Recombobulation Area. We were just talking about the uh, the first 
real votes cast in the, uh, the run-up to 2024, the uh, general election. Caucuses in Iowa, your thoughts? Yeah, not just polls anymore. We've got uh, we've got votes. actual votes to to analyze and dissect and break down and all of that. Yeah, obviously a big win for Donald Trump last night. Not just not just winning, but lapping the field. You know, winning more votes than anyone combined. Um, you know, I think it was a. I think it was a. He came in second, but I think it was a particularly tough tough night for for Ron DeSantis. Why because, do you think that? Because if you look ahead to the next poll, the New Hampshire poll. He's way, way behind yeah. in New Hampshire. So he was really going all in on Iowa. And to only get, what, 2% ahead of Nikki Haley? If you look at the New Hampshire poll, he's only at 6.5%. He's behind Chris Christie, who dropped out of the race. Yeah, I would... So he needed a good performance in Iowa to be able to have any viability Going forward in this race, Nikki Haley way ahead in you know way ahead of him at least still behind Donald Trump in New Hampshire doing well in South Carolina her home state. DeSantis was way behind. He needed a big performance in Iowa. He didn't really get it. He came in second, yes, uh, ahead of Haley, but I think he needed to to be much 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 closer to yeah. to Trump to have any viability in this race. Somebody made the point yesterday. He spent millions and millions of dollars to be less popular in the caucuses than he was like months ago before the, before the process even started. It's been a steady downtrend line ever since he announced his campaign with Elon Musk on X uh, yeah. and that disastrous launch. And, you know, I, th- I feel like for four years, people had built him up as this, you know, conservative governor who could bring his brand of, you know, kind of Trump infused politics to the national stage. Uh, but he's just run such a terrible campaign, uh, and it's just only gone bad for him. And I think, you know, last night, okay, he got the second place, the distant second place finish. Uh, but the fact that, you know, he's so far behind in New Hampshire, he's f- behind in South Carolina. What what does this really look like? For he him seemed really forward? excited in the uh, in the speech that he gave after the second place finish. Yeah, uh, he was on to, on to New Hampshire. He said he what was the quote? He said they punched his ticket or yeah, something punched like. Punched his ticket to New Hampshire. Even if he had, if if he would have doubled his total vote total, he still would have been what ten points behind Trump. It's yeah. it's not great. My only word of caution is these are static events. Things can change. The mm-hmm. dynamics can change. And maybe maybe a second, a slight. I mean, he finished you know what a, a point or two above Nikki Haley. Maybe a slight second place advantage in Iowa means something in New Hampshire. I don't know that it does. Mm-hmm. Um. The problem that Republicans have here is, other than Trump, is they can't, neither one of them is going to really do anything until the other one's gone. So they're just killing each other, right? That's they, right. They they're shared, just sniping at each other the whole campaign and never going percent. after the front runner. You yeah. know, it's just like, even like I'm thinking back to the, the Democratic pres- presidential primary four years ago when, you know, Buttigieg and Klobuchar and all the kind of more moderate wing of the party dropped out and backed Joe Biden after he won in South Carolina. There's really not an equivalent possibility there on the Republican side to, you know, I guess to to align against Trump because DeSantis and Haley have just been the the fighting between those two campaigns has been been pretty intense. So I, I can't really imagine, you know, that they will you know, kind of put down their swords and, and consolidate against Trump either. No, although some news was made last night or early this morning that Nikki Haley will not debate anyone uh, anyone until Trump either is on stage or it's in the general election debate, which means she would be the nominee, which right now doesn't look likely. So that dynamic has changed. We may not have any more debates. 
That's possible, too. You know, I'm thinking back to that Milwaukee debate uh, in August where we had in the number one and two positions there, we had Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. How weird is that to think back as just a kind of time capsule of where this campaign was? Let me do this. I'm going to take a quick break. I want to get to Wisconsin redistricting. There's, what is there, seven different plans that are swirling around, ordered by the the state Supreme Court and the new liberal majority, and... uh, All of this has to happen very quickly. We're starting to see some analysis on what these things look like. Uh, We'll discuss that with Dan Schaefer, my guest, the author and writer, creator of the Recombobulation Area. How can folks find that? Uh, you can find it at therecombobulationarea.news, uh, the Recombobulation Area on Substack. You can find me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer. He's a good Twitter follow as well. I'll take a quick break here listening to WTMJ now. Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday. Chilly Tuesday, but... There's hope on the way. It's going to warm up. I, I heard, or saw rather, one of the meteorologists in Milwaukee say it, it may be in the 30s. Oh, my goodness, 40 next week, potentially? Dan Schaefer, what do you think about that? I'm, I'm ready for that. I don't like so the deep I. freeze. I don't, I don't like the deep freeze too much. I don't well, want to we'll live in a refrigerator yeah, full exactly. time or a freezer in the, in the case of our current weather. Um, Wisconsin State Supreme Court ordered that our lines on our map district maps, the lines of the state that determine who represents you. And they have evolved over time. They they are not, this is not a unique problem in Wisconsin where one party seems to have the favor uh, of the lines, the, the lines that benefit them, and look no further than Illinois where Democrats have done that and other states back and forth. But we are starting to, to hear and read about these seven plans submitted that would kind of recreate our boundaries, our lines. Uh, the, we were just talking during the break about John Johnson. He's a fellow at the Marquette Law School Lubar Center. He's starting to look at these things. And I guess the general sense that I get looking at some of the things he said and some of the reporting on this is it, it generally takes lines that are created now that have existed for a while and basically moves the lines to sort of redistribute redistribute political power is that is that a fair assessment? Well, I think you know you, you take a look at what exactly the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled on. They ruled these maps unconstitutional on the on the basis of the contiguity uh, uh, question. But I think there were a lot of questions uh, going into the last round of redistricting in 2021 when they set these maps for the last election. That there were a number of problems every every 10 years. You have to you know essentially uh, draw new maps. That's what happened. Uh, the Wisconsin Republicans advanced this plan to have a least change approach uh, to the to the maps. And that essentially baked in what was the you know, what many have said is the most partisan Republican gerrymander in the country uh, for state legislative maps uh, uh, under the last decade for Wisconsin. And then when they kind of baked that in when they had the least change ruling and that, you know, uh, many people will say that ruling kind of flies in the face of the state constitution as well. Uh, So. You know, basically what happened now, uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled those maps unconstitutional, told these various parties who were involved in the lawsuit that they had to submit submit maps. So we had map submissions uh, from seven different groups, including the legislative Republicans that basically, uh, you know, made a minor changes to their current map uh, to just kind of solve for the contiguity problem. And if right. you look at the across the board and again, John Johnson and Marquette has done a terrific public service uh, in the way he's been breaking down uh, these map submissions. You know, basically it will get most of these submissions get Wisconsin's closer to the type of 50-50 purple state politics that we have in this state 
uh, instead of just the overwhelming Republican majority. But, you know, it's still not even 50-50. Even most of the maps submitted by, you know, left-leaning groups, Senate Democrats, Tony Evers, they still will give uh, Republicans a slight majority uh, across the board in the assembly. Most of the assembly uh, maps, uh, I think all of the assembly maps would still project to have uh, a Republican majority if, if the 20 projected uh, on the 2022 vote. Uh, and I think five of the seven Senate maps also had a Republican majority. So I think a lot of people were saying going into this, oh, the Democrats are just going to draw maps to favor themselves. Well, Almost all of the map submissions give a uh, Republican major- would give them a Republican majority in both houses. So I don't really think that talking point that I, I would consider that a false narrative at this point. One of the big talking points has been the sort of carving up of communities. We saw it with Tosa previously. Absolutely, right. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Madison, uh, Burlington, that area. There's like there's a few examples that are essentially carved out, and then they create these long stretch districts right where they touch one community that's very very you know uh geographically distant from the other community linking them to sort of create these districts that the submitters would say are are more fair is that a good way to to do this do you think this i call them stretch districts i don't know what anyone else calls them but if you go from madison all the way east to whatever uh, in a long, thin district. Is yeah. that fair? I, I, Are those fair maps? I think we want to get to a point where these, you know, we have these more compact and contiguous maps. And I think, you know, we, we have a number of examples on the current map uh, of where that's not the case. I think if, I, I forget the exact number of the district, uh, but the uh, assemb- there's an assembly district, uh, or I'm sorry, state senate district that includes both Bayshore Mall and Aaron Hills Golf Course. Yeah. So you have a number of these examples currently uh, on the maps that are very tilted towards uh, towards Republicans. It's not a unique situation. It, it's happened before. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So so I think we you know I, we I think you want to have maps that reflect the reality of the communities that these uh, assembly representatives, state senators, where they represent. Of the seven plans, and again, we're not statistical experts or necessary. I'm not an expert on, on redistricting. And matter of fact, I can tell you that from a radio host perspective, a lot of people's eyes glaze over when you talk about this stuff, which doesn't mean it's not important. It just means it's not number one on the hot topic list or the uh, trends of the day. Um, so when you're looking at this thing, do you think any of these seven maps submitted? Obviously, Republicans least change again, right? Just tweaked a couple things for the, the, the contiguous community question. Mm-hmm. Which one seems in your mind to kind of make the most sense? You know, I think there are there are strong aspects of a lot of these submissions, but there's really one outlier. If you if you look at this, the one outlier is the one submitted by legislative Republicans that keeps everything the same. Even the map submitted by the the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, obviously a very conservative right wing organization. You know, it, their map even kind of pulls back on how how much of an egregious gerrymander that the legislative Republicans have done. Um, so I, I actually think there's some good aspects of the of the will map i uh, i do as well but I, I think that i think the law forward map is probably the standout for me so far i think it you know best reflects the um you know the overall composition uh of the state's electorate you know kind of the, the many fair maps advocates for many years have said that based on wisconsin's political geography they that republicans have about a two percent uh you know geographical advantage in the legislature that's about 
reflect about exactly reflected in the law forward map i think that's a really important aspect of it and i think there's you know there's good pieces to the tony evers map as well i think the senate democrats map maybe had a couple problems i'm still trying to learn about uh some of the details of that one but you know i think what will happen next is that uh the the two kind of um people appointed to oversee this process will you know kind of look at these maps and produce a report on them uh by february 1st and i think you know i i don't think necessarily we're going to have a situation where it's just like okay this this one of the seven is the same you know i think they're going to be maybe taking into account a number of factors from a different from different maps do you think these experts will kind of cobble together the best case to try to appease everybody i mean that would be i guess the from a voters perspective the best case scenario right yeah and i think it also has to has to fit with the constitution the state constitution and i think it has to fit with the wisconsin supreme court the new majority on the wisconsin supreme court's ruling that you have to take uh partisan impact uh into account for these maps you know i think uh that was i think they they were made that very clear uh the the four justices ruling in the majority that you can't you know, par- have another partisan gerrymander because they may the Supreme Court may have ruled on the contiguity question, uh, but they could still rule on the partisan gerrymandering challenge at some point. Uh, so I think that is going to be a really important part of this as well. And, and we have a 50 50 state in Wisconsin. And if legislative Republicans just came right back and drew a map that would give them, you know, 64 uh, assembly seats to, to what was it, uh, 64 to 35 uh, cent breakdown. That, that's just not reflective of Wisconsin's electorate. Just so I'm clear, and I want people to understand this from my perspective, and, and I think this is important. Nobody's saying that when a party is in control, they're not, in their, in their own self-interest, is not going to create try to create lines that make the most sense for their party. Is that a, is that a safe assessment assessment, whether it's Democrats or Republicans? I think that's fair. I, I think so, but I think we also, I think you have to, in the long term, I think it would be in Wisconsin's best interest to remove this power from the legislature so we don't have, and not from the legislature entirely. I'm saying you have to not have a situation where you're having representatives decide their voters instead of the voters decide their representatives. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement on that. I, I, you know, the, the last time this this was a major issue, we saw legislators writing emails that say oh if you move this line this way or i don't like that neighborhood it's like that's probably not in the best interest of voters in wisconsin and i'd like to see us get away from that is this let's look pat look let's take a break i want to look past this is this a first step into sort of a redo on how we draw the lines is that question going to be the next question after this process which is Got a very fast timeline. Our guest, Dan Schaefer, political columnist, the recombobulation area. We'll take a break here. Listen, of course, to WTMJ Now. A couple minutes left with Dan Schaefer, the uh, the writer, great writer at the recombobulation area from a liberal perspective. I think that's a safe assumption, right? Sure, I lean a little bit to the left. I, that's, that's safe to say. And, by the way, hosting WTMJ Night's... Tonight, yeah. tonight from seven to nine p.m., I will be uh, in your chair over there at uh, in the studio here, hosting WTMJ nights. We've any, got a great show planned. Any big guests? Uh, we've got uh, Claire Koenig from Visit Milwaukee. Is oh, going to tell nice. us about Milwaukee Museum Week coming up, and Charles Franklin uh, from the Marquette University Law School poll is going to be talking to us about Iowa. I just talked to him yesterday as part of our Decision Wisconsin podcast, and you can find that podcast on our website at wtmj.com. It's now out there, so uh, for your perusal, it's I think it's about eighteen twenty minutes in-depth on some of the scheduling for MU 
coming up this year, obviously busy year in, in elections and politics, and then uh, some of the challenges in presidential polling. And he talks a little, little bit about caucuses as well. All right, so I gave you sort of a general question before the break. It's not easy to draw the lines. Political parties, in their own self-interest, want their lines to benefit their party. They want to maximize their power, I get that, or their control. Given all of that, do you see a scenario, and maybe this is the first step, maybe not, where we get away from how we do it now and we go to uh, one of the examples that's always excited, uh, cited is the Iowa example, where they have like a panel, right? Yeah, so... You know, that was one of the things that Assembly Republicans did introduce in the, yes. in the most recent session, a version of the Iowa model, not the exact Iowa model, uh, you know, kind of taking pieces from it uh, to, to build something that would for Wisconsin. Uh, it passed the Assembly, but the, the state Senate gave it a public hearing, but never actually gave it a committee vote and advanced it. Uh, but I think, you know, there were, there were some problems with uh, the approach that Assembly Republicans took to uh, approve those maps they kind of gave themselves final, final approval which of course they did um, but I think the the part of it that I really like in the Iowa model is that it would give the power to draw the lines to the nonpartisan legislative reference bureau and so taking the you know, you mentioned that email that went around, sure. uh, you know, where I think it was state, former state senator Leah Vukmir kind of basically picking out which districts would best ad- ad- give her. She cherry picked her district. She cherry picked her district. And yes. I think that happened. You know, that was one example that became public. But I think there was probably many more sure. that didn't. Um, but I think so. So removing the process from the legislators to a nonpartisan outlet like the legislative Reference Bureau. That's the good part of the Iowa model. The part that's a little bit problematic is the approval process. Um, you know, you need uh, and not to get into the weeds, but it just it just they kind of Republicans kind of gave themselves final approval uh, in their bill. So I think that was problematic for it. But I think. You know, it's a step forward to consider doing things differently. And I think that is ultimately a good thing. You think the process, we only got about 30 seconds, think the process will go as planned on the timeline, which is very, very tight to make sure that all the, all the, uh, I's are dotted, T's are crossed before the elections start to happen? Yeah, we've got less than two months now before March 15th when they want to have this process done so they can, you know, file the new maps to the Wisconsin Elections Commission and those candidates who are going to be running for those offices start picking up signatures and all that. Um, I think we're... Uh, absent a U.S. Supreme Court uh, decision that might intervene, I think we are on track to have new maps for uh, for this year's election. Dan Schaefer, the author and writer of the uh, Recombobulation Area. How can folks find it? You can find it at thereconbobulationarea.news. You can find the Recombobulation Area on Substack. Follow me at Dan R. Schaefer on Twitter. And tune in tonight, 7 p.m. I'll be hosting the show. Yeah, one of our great uh, extra hosts here at WTMG. I'll be listening as well. Always great to talk to you. We'll do it again next week. Thank you, Steve. All right, break for news and then a 10 o'clock hour jam-packed as well. We're just getting warmed up on this Tuesday, on this chilly Tuesday right here in WTMG.